Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's lights out and away we pod. A new Formula One season is about to begin. And coincidentally enough... There's a season preview issue of GP Racing magazine on the shelves. On the cover we have a Red Bull and they seem very much the team to beat based on form and the pre-season test. But there's still hope for a competitive year of racing, as commentators enunciate that word, uh, which we all want since there's going to be 23 races. Uh, Joining me to ponder the pecking order are uh, live from the US of A, but soon to depart, Mark Gallagher. I'm actually not in the US. I got back this morning. Oh, right. So, oh, I, I should have I should have there been able to tell but, by the picture of the aeroplanes and whatnot. No, I got back this morning, but I am about to depart for Estoril, where I used to enjoy going to Formula One races, but I'm actually going to a client dinner in a seafood restaurant tonight. Oh, very pleasing. So, this is globe trotting, isn't it? But the thing is, with the jet lag, don't you make sure you don't fall asleep in the in the lobster beast. The thing about jet lag is it's just all in your head. You have to just knuckle down and realize that it's a privilege to travel. Uh, I got on board the flight last night from Florida. The stewardess said, do you want to have dinner? I said, why would I want to eat dinner? It's the midnight. Uh, I'm going to go to sleep. And I went to sleep and had a good seven and a half hours. And I'm, I'm good to go. So, yeah, off to Heathrow, straight off to this podcast. And uh, long may that continue. Let's, let's go second time lucky. Live from Stanford, <laughs> it's Autosports Matt Q. Hi, Connors. I'm globetrotting slightly less tonight. In fact, uh, my brother's cooking for me, so I think I've got to venture a mile up the road. Uh, for, but it still might be exotic food with with his standal, uh, with his sort of culinary skills. So, so who knows? I'm looking forward to that. Could be uh, anything as, as exotic as cottage pie, or probably cottage pie actually but there you go it's the second year of the new formula one technical regulations so technically they're not new anymore uh, when they were introduced they were supposed to usher in a new era of closer and more competitive racing but did they 
uh, in the latest edition of GP Racing, no less an eminence than Matt Q here present, here present, here present, here present, uh, has rated their success. And uh, without giving away too many spoilers, Matt, the the summary is must try harder. Absolutely. Uh, I took inspiration from a lot of my own school report cards when uh, when coming up with that conclusion. But uh, it was sort of a, a mix of uh, sort of uh, pulling in, you know, speaking to various drivers throughout the season. Obviously, you know, it was quite interesting to to go back to the first Prince conferences from Bahrain and Saudi Arabia and how the verdict changed throughout the year as they sort of settled down to what was actually determined by the rules. Because obviously it's such a confluence of factors, whether it can be tire life pit stops or whatever to create a bigger number of over overtakes and the the really interesting trade-off we had last year where yes cars could follow each other more closely but then the slipstream effect was lessened because there wasn't so much dirty air and then obviously we had the sort of proliferation of drs zones to offset that and then too many overtakes but then you know do you rate those more overtakes as a direct effect of the rules or just because we're relying on an overtaking aid more? So it's actually really interesting to sort of dig a bit deeper. And then if you if you expand sort of your definition of the new rules to also consider things like the cost cap that, you know, we could, some team bosses are saying it could be as much of a decade before that really starts to sort of homogenise the field and, and you, you erode the advantage the leading teams have by infrastructure. So um, I actually found it a really stimulating exercise and having picked up a copy of GP Racing Codders, I noticed my work hasn't been too radically edited. So hopefully that means I, I delivered up to your brief as well. You could give yourself a pat on the back. <laughs> it's marvellous. Mark, what did you make of it? And um, to, c- can we expect more uh, of, of the same, do we think, this season? Or with the confluence, uh, is, is, is this sort of business of, of the being able to follow going to stretch out again? Are we going to see cars fur- necessarily further apart if uh, they're all sort of equal in their performance envelope or approaching more of a level? I think my view on it was that last year we definitely saw and heard from the horse's mouth, from the drivers, that it was easier to follow. But to Matt's point, there was you could get closer, but it didn't necessarily mean that you could overtake. And that kind of false overtaking a DRS, which you know I'm not I'm not a huge fan of of DRS, but it does fulfil its requirement to allow overtaking to take place from time to time and. And obviously, certain circuits DRS works better than others. I think the the recent announcement, for example, that the chicane in Barcelona is being taken away at the last corner. You know that that's all geared towards trying to ensure that you get a better run and that you make more of the of the opportunity. And it it becomes a combination of the two: being able to follow closer and being able to use DRS. And of course, Ross Braun is, you know, he he's been a staunch supporter of of the new rules and. Whilst he admits that they didn't achieve all that they had hoped for, he wasn't surprised by that because, you know, the one thing that's pretty clear is that 10 teams and 10,000 clever people will always find a way to retain their competitive edge and to to avoid people passing them, to optimise the, the regulations, uh, to give them give themselves the best opportunity. So I think... It really, I think my feeling in summary is that what the rules have done over the last year is it's brought the field slightly closer together. And certainly at certain times during races, we've seen that. We've seen some amazing midfield uh, battles. Um, we've had a few 
you know, DRS trains as well emerged during the course of the season. Uh, and I think all of that's going to continue. So if what it's led to is a, a compressing of the field at certain, at certainly at certain events and at certain parts of Grand Prix, well, that's great because it's, it's provided lots of enjoyment. Um, meanwhile, out front, you know, you've Red Bull and, you know, Max ultimately dominated last season. And what it does go to show is that in this technical meritocracy, which is Formula One, no matter what you do, the, you know, the best will always win out. And, you know, the, the quickest car, the quickest package and the quickest team and the, the best strategized team will win. And the ones that are second will be, always be second. So no matter what you do with that rule book, it fundamentally comes down to that, that technical sort of meritocracy. Uh, uh, Matt, I love your point about, you know, the fact that the the budget cap could take a, a long time to to take hold in terms of balancing out Formula One and, and creating um, a more level playing field. And, and your point that, you know, some team bosses are saying it could take a decade. I'm not sure that we will ever see the sport truly changed because of the budget cap because the top teams attract the top people. They have had the investment in the top facilities. They attract the top drivers. Um, I mean, take something that's not in the budget cap, driver salaries. So that means that you can go out and you can buy the best talent. And that, that always, you know, so all of these incremental things are going to help the top teams to stay ahead. So in the very unlikely event that we're doing the podcast together, the three of us in 2033, we can review uh, whether whether the decade has seen an equalizing of uh, the playing field or not. I, I fear you'll never see that. And what it'll actually, what it will actually demonstrate is that the best led, best structured, best organized, best process driven teams will continue to be the key players in this sport and the ones that have fundamental leadership, structural, cultural issues, they're going to continue to struggle. And so it's um, in some ways they'll be found out that whilst they always complained about the budget, actually there was a lot more to it than that. They're also up against the laws of physics as well, aren't they? In that um, if you have cars that follow, uh, that have similar performance and are able to follow closely behind one another, um, all they do is overheat their engines and root their tyres. So um, that's that's one thing we're never going to get over. I don't want to give away the whole future, Collins, because I know you're you're conscious of that at the start. But I think actually, Mark's Mark's touched on it. But the main point, or one of the main points, you have to consider when evaluating the new rules is that one of the stated aims was to make a more competitive F1. And as I go into the future, yes, you do have more on-track overtakes, on-track specifically. 17 races were won by one team and of the 75 podiums last year, if you include sprint races, only one of them was from a non-Mercedes, Red Bull or Ferrari driver. So by those metrics, it's it's pretty uh, pretty grim reading actually. And like, I know, I know um, you know, unpredictability is, is hard to sort of predict and, and to factor into your equations, but you always have that thing where, you know, if you leave well alone, you sort of get a convergence, which is why in 2021, we were able to have the the unlikely winner of, of Daniel Ricciardo and Monza and Esteban Ocon at, at Budapest. And yes, they were crazy races that paved the way for that specific set of circumstances on that specific day. But there was none of that last year. And I think we'd sort of 
your broader brushstrokes, you have to factor that in when you're rolling new rules designed to make a more competitive grid a success. Because we didn't, we didn't have that. And the early suggestion from testing is that Red Bull might even go better than the 17 races. And then, and then you, you know, the, the feature I've just finished writing for, for Autosport is, you know, why, why F1's midfield is too close to cool. And, you know, you can, what cliche do you want? Throw a blanket over all the teams or, or toss of a coin as to who's, who's fastest one day from the next. But we're still going to have that top class. And, and within that, top class you've still got a top team in Red Bull so I think that has to factor in massively to to our verdicts of ground effects so far. That reminds me of the sort of thing you might find in the Autosport National section describing a 750 Motor Club uh, uh, support card event. Uh, The top five were blanketed by 0.5 seconds. I'm always conscious not to do a Dan Brown and get swamped in a sea of mixed metaphors, which is one of my favourite literary <laughs> critiques I've read. Uh, reconcile ourselves to the fact that Red Bull are looking very strong. The, the car looked good at the pre-season test, looked like it had more lap time in it. Uh, the team did plenty of mileage, very few problems. Did, I, did, they, did they drop the car off the jack? Yes, they did. Um, they did. Without its um, rear wheels on, which was, I think, about the only thing that went wrong for Red Bull. Uh, during the pre-season test, uh, but they do have this penalty hanging over them uh, in the form of additional restrictions on development because of breaking the aforementioned budget cap in 2021. Now, our esteemed colleague Alex Kalanorkas has in this very issue weighed up how much of a penalty this actually is and well, when Red Bull will actually feel its effects. And that's very much open to question, isn't it? You know, obviously the team had momentum, had the best car, had a vision of where to take it probably from the middle of last year before the the penalty was applied so it's it's likely isn't it that we'll see if any effects further down the line as as this sort of restriction on development begins to bite yeah i think it's going to be an interesting start to the season because if max gets on with the job early on and delivers a string of victories, actually any any impact later in the year in terms of development is going to have less of an effect because he'll have built up a commanding championship lead, which everyone anticipates. I think the other thing is that, um, quite frankly, when you have a package and a concept that works so well at a time when the regulation changes are so minor season to season, you know, effectively almost static um the impact of that penalty is diminished enormously because i mean essentially they've already got a cracking car and what what wind tunnel runs they are allowed to do you can be sure there's no better team under adrian newey's leadership to make the most of those and it's the teams that are struggling that need to get as many runs in as possible to try and you to try new opportunities. So I think it'll hit Red Bull le- much less than than anyone, perhaps even than Christian Horner himself might have uh, might have admitted to. I think it was always going to be the case, no matter what happened, it was always going to be the correct case that Christian, quite rightly, doing his job, would say, this is draconian, it's really hitting us hard, it's a massive penalty, my goodness, you know, we're really being made to to go through the ringer because of this. And it was always going to be the case that the competition would say it wasn't strong enough. Um, so you can be sure it's somewhere in the middle. It hurts them a bit, no question about it. And, you know, I'm sure Adrian and, and his team at, at Red Bull will be saying, well, yeah, there's a few more things we could have done and we really have to think carefully. Um, they will be 
I say they will be. They are already delighted with pre-season testing. You know, they're grinning from ear to ear. They know they've got a cracking opportunity to literally pick up where they left off last year. And, you know, to Matt's point, you know, 17 victories could be the least of it uh, this year. If they, if we really have now unequivocally moved from the Mercedes era into the Red Bull era. And, uh, you know, I, I do hate the fact that we're leading into the season by being slightly down in the mouth about the the prospects for competition. But the reality is that it is what it is. And uh, what will be so interesting, Matt, is to see what's happening behind, you know, how far Ferrari are behind, where Aston Martin are in relation to, to Mercedes-Benz, where Aston Martin are in relation to Alpine and McLaren. So I think the focus at the front of the grid may not be so exciting, but actually you won't have to go too far behind to have lots of interesting stories. We've been sort of um, theorising among, amongst uh, amongst the media centre of how Red Bull will sort of work around the cost cap in a sense that the, the RB19 is an evolution of the RB18. Of course it is. It was brilliant last season, so they're keeping that sort of um, the lightweight concept and... and Verstappen says he has had to tweak his driving style, but essentially it's going to be the same potent package. So if it's an evolution and, you know, we all know you can't unlearn what you've learned, that means it will affect them later in the season or potentially more into the 2024 car. So when you're straddling those two seasons, is it a case of they go heavy with the upgrades up until, let's say, Monza and you hope that Verstappen is 100 points clear and the title is almost inevitability and then you just sort of scrap this season at the earliest possible moment and then hope that you have enough resources left over to direct to 2024. I think that's the game that Red Bull really have to look at playing because, you know, as brilliant as they are, as as much as they made a success of last season, 25% mark of the wind tunnel hours and the CFD runs, that's got to rear its head somewhere. And like you say, it's then it's then then completely the midfield battle. Um, we we were sort of going through the pecking order, and it's almost like um, I don't know, like a, a an admiral moving ships around with a with a croupier stick because you've got Alpine saying we can close the gap to the top three, but distance ourselves from the midfield, so they're in a, a no man's land. And then you land after testing, and Aston are being eyed up by the rest of the midfield as sort of being the biggest gainer. So then. There, there or thereabouts with Alpine potentially but we know that well everything indicates in terms of trackside observations and what the drivers and teams are saying team bosses are saying that McLaren have fallen back so they're in there somewhere and then you have Alfa Romeo that are still Alfa Romeo but this is the first year where that Sauber operation will have Audi backing to take it up to the cost cap Haas has a new title sponsor and and politely in Nico Hulkenberg a driver that's been hired because he won't have two seven-figure car snapping crashes so they won't have to shelve their latter half development and that's why you have all these factors James Vowles gets in appoints a technical director I still don't think you're gonna see Williams as being anything other than a very occasional point scorer but if they're not as cut adrift as they were last season then then suddenly you've got you know that that famous shot from the 2022 British Grand Prix of you know um, Hamilton getting the cut back on signs and Perez and in the back of shot you've got Norris and Alpine you know the 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 holy grail I suppose is you have that sort of five six car train for the midfield at every every single race so if that is the case then then roll on because I'm also conscious now I feel bad Mark because I've spent 
a little bit this podcast saying, well, don't tune into the season because Red Bull have already won it. So I think that the midfield storylines where you've got Fernando Alonso throwing shade at all his past employees and whatever, that's that's where the real battleground will be. And um, yeah, just it'll just be it'll be a case of that and then really seeing how, how Red Bull sort of manage their cost cap. But the way the way that team is run... Yeah, Bank on them to nail that as well, I suppose. Going back to your point about Red Bull, what you know, how are they going to approach this? I think they'll be looking to take a leaf out of the Ferrari Schumacher book, and uh, uh, if not win the championship before they go on their summer holiday, get get very close to it, so that it takes the pressure off this year completely. And and I mean, let's face it, it will get to the if if he is that dominant early in the year, it will quickly get to the point where he doesn't even need to keep winning races to win the championship. He just needs to get that consistency. So if someone comes on strongly later in the year, if you know, if Ferrari get to the point where they can be competitive in Monza, which always to me always seems to be a a kind of focal point, you know, by that point, I think Red Bull would be. uh, looking, looking the championship in the both championships in the eye already. Uh, it is a very long season. Um, that's also going to be a factor. You know, we're, we're we've got a lot more to to think about in terms of what may happen during what is now the you know longest season of Formula One. Um, but I'm sure Adrian and the team will be wanting to manage those resources in such a way that they don't end up being caught short going into 24. They'll want to make. They'll want to keep the momentum going. So that resource allocation. So what can we do? When can we do it? When will it really matter? And um, uh, talking to a few people earlier this week, I think again, someone said to me, "It'll be like it'll be like Jensen Button's World Championship. All the winning will be done up front, um, you know, at the beginning of the year, and just build up such a such a momentum that actually it won't matter that much." Uh, what happens later on? Not to say that Red Bull will back off, but just to say that if the budget cap uh, penalty, it, you know, if that restriction on 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 aero running starts to bite, it'll bite too late in the year for them to to be really bothered about it. So I think it, it it's going to be really interesting. I, I'm fascinated by these financial rules and regulations because it's given a third stream to to what the teams have to play with. You know, we've always had the technical rules, we've always had the sporting rules, we've now got these financial rules and now we've got financial, pen, you know, financial rule-related penalties and it is driving the efficiency with which teams spend every dollar, what they do, making sure... You I mean, can you imagine now if you do a, a you know, a CFD run or an, a, a wind tunnel run and it turns out to have been a waste of time? I mean, it's... You know, it's it'll be even more unforgivable now than it's ever been, you know? And so I think wastage, eliminating wastage, making sure that your digital tools mean that you're you know, your digital twin of the car, the fidelity between what you're designing and what hits the track is spot on. And I think in that regard, you know, Red Bull clearly have a fantastic operation in terms of ensuring that that what they do at the factory translates through the performance track side. And then when and then equally when you see where McLaren are at with their problems, they've they seem to have a fairly deep seated issue where, you know, they they really aren't getting on top of the problems that have actually been occurring in recent years. And I have to say, uh, Daniel Ricciardo must be looking at the Bahrain pre-season test and thinking, thank goodness I'm not. And thank goodness I'm not in that car. I think it is a shame to say that, you know, Williams and McLaren may well be the teams battling not to be last. Again, I hope, you know, I hope looks like Williams have made a step forward, but it's too much, as you say, to expect that, 
with everything that's happened there over the course of the last couple of years and now with James Vales arriving in and presumably facing um, the early days of whatever structure he wants to put in place, it's it's going to be to some degree, to some extent, a treading of a treading of water by Williams this year. Yeah, definitely. That McLaren looked absolutely awful when I uh, popped along to the yeah. drag strip control tower in Bahrain and watched turn ten. I mean, really, uh, ne- never, never has a racing car attempted to spear an apex and ended up so far away from it lap after lap uh, even when not going particularly quickly it, it did look like a disaster in the making so uh, a bit of a shame it does uh, but... it does it it does raise the question about how much more of this Lando Norris is going to want to take and you know he's got a contract going through to 25 I believe but you know again uh, talking to someone at, at, at Alfa Romeo the the fact that Andreas Seidel has gone there and knows only too well how good Lando is, um, you, you just wonder: will will there eventually? You know, w- will Lando see out his contract? You know, will there be a financial offer made to release him early to get him into that to get him away from McLaren? So it's really it's almost shocking to be saying this because for for a while there it looked like the McLaren trajectory was becoming good again and. Uh, Obviously, there was that one-off win in in Monza with uh, with Daniel, but you know Lando looked he looked pretty gutted, I think, as a result of the test. The two interesting things to watch with the McLaren narrative: uh, where does the blame lie for this? Because they're putting all their hopes on the new wind tunnel, but if there is a regression between now and then, do fingers begin to be pointed at any of the technical team um you know there's obviously what one strand straight away when the car came up badly it was right how visible is james key at this test so you know does there have to be a full guy for it the other thing i think is interesting particularly when you're looking at the driver lineup is oscar piastri because mclaren have got rid of daniel ricardo because they believe they can find someone who will close what is over an average 90-second lap, a six-tenths deficit. So they've gone for an incredibly highly rated rookie who is expected to continue the Lando Norris, Lewis Hamilton trend of stellar McLaren rookie seasons. But they've got a rookie and a rookie who has been sat on the sidelines for a year. So what have you given him? A badly behaved car that won't inspire confidence and then asking him to get up to speed with that and then battle in the midfield where he is race rusty and so with such enormous expectations and through really no fault of his own with the Alpine contract saga, he's he's arguably already a marked man with you know some, some corners of the internet for, for his tweet and whatever. I think that is going to be a really easy bandwagon to jump on if, if he's that same gap to Norris or even further adrift because how is he meant to take confidence from not only is it a bad handling car, but if it's the same trait as 2022, it's a bad handling car that handles differently every single corner, in which case you're really at sea. And that's such a hard process to go through to acclimatise to F1. Remind those of us who um, don't live and breathe on Twitter what was tweeted. Uh, he, I can't remember the exact wording, but obviously he said, I have sort of, I've never held talks with Alpine and this, uh, press release they put out announcing me as a driver that has no quotes from me is is nothing to do with me and that was obviously the the correct legal standpoint and and he proved to be entirely vindicated but 
you know, he, he took a bit of a reputational pounding for that as being, well, you've got your F1 opportunity and now you're saying no to it. It's a bit petty. We sort of dealt with McLaren Alpine not looking too bad, although uh, our, not, wanting, not wishing to give away too many spoilers for our April issue, but our tech columnist Pat Simmons thinks that maybe the Alpine isn't all that, but um, Aston Martin seem to have made progress. And um, this month we've, we've visited the, the, the pile of mud that will soon become uh, a factory and they're hoping to occupy in May. Now, Mark, you will have actually worked on that site back, back when it was in its pomp and it was an ultra-modern F1 facility, not a condemned piece of junk about to be demolished yeah. to make way for a state-of-the-art fitness centre. Yeah, it's... Um... So but the first thing to say is it's interesting how often um, when people are writing about Jordan's history, they talk about, you know, our first season and uh, that little factory at Silverstone. That little factory at Silverstone wasn't there in our first season. We were across the road at Silverstone Circuit in glorified lockups um, running the team in the, the, the Jordan 191 that first year. So, so the factory that's now being left behind was for us the brand new factory that we built during 1991. And it, the project management on that factory was overseen by a guy called Bosco Quinn, who was uh, an Irish guy, a good friend of Eddie Jordan's, and uh, and tragically was killed in a road accident the week that the factory mm. was opened and having basically project managed the whole thing. So his name is on a plaque outside that factory. And I know a few people have been in contact with Aston Martin to ask them if they could possibly ensure that the Bosco Quinn plaque is um is kept and not doesn't end up in a skip somewhere but that factory when it was first opened was was a completely open plan i mean there were no mezzanines it was a completely open plan uh factory and we gradually extended it over the course of the 1990s to add a composites facility to add uh, testing rigs gearbox testing rigs then we bought a um we bought a four poster rig um quick story about the four poster rig so we were very impressed with the four poster rig when we got it because we could replay laps of of circuits on that and during the course of one visit Hiratoshi Honda who owned Mugen asked if he could sit in the car on the four poster rig and could we load up a lap of of somewhere interesting so we we loaded up a lap of I think it was it was either Monte Carlo or Monza I can't remember I can't remember what Anyway, it was only some money, some months later that we met the boss of ServoTest who had built the rig and we told him this story and he stood looking at us with aghast and he said, you do realise that putting someone in the car is just completely, you're, I mean, he could have suffered permanent spinal injuries from the vertical loads that were being put through the car. So anyway, he enjoyed it. I mean, he, he got out of the car. He Well, he was vibrating for about the next 15 minutes. <laughs> he had a great time. But anyway, I've, I've gone off on a complete tangent. But that factory effectively got developed season by season through the 1990s. And then once it got, got it went into, I think, Force India ownership, so it had gone through the Midland and the Spiker phase, they then mezzanine the whole factory. And I remember walking into it and couldn't believe that effectively the, the factory had vertically been now cut in two and you had the, this mezzanine across the, whole, across the whole floor. And it is extraordinary. It really is extraordinary to think that for 30 years, that factory, small, small factory, tiny by comparison to, 
you know, any of the other factories in, in F1 was producing, you know, competitive midfield cars. Sometimes, you know, as in the case of 98, 99, 2004, race winning cars. Um, and I always remember Toyota coming for a visit whenever they were planning to come into Formula One. And I gave them the tour of the factory. And after 15 minutes, we were back in reception. And they said, is that it? And we said, yeah, that, that's the factory. So they then asked us to come to Cologne and see their factory, which involved driving a car around inside the factory. <laughs> and we actually measured, measured it, and their canteen was larger than our factory. So the fact that Toyota never went on and won a Grand Prix says something about Toyota. And the fact that we could produce uh, moderately competitive and sometimes race-winning cars out of a factory smaller than their canteen says something about what what the te- what the team was doing but there's no question that for some years you know really it's prob- I'm sure if you talk to um, Andy Stevenson uh, sporting director who's been there since the beginning you know he would say the last decade must have been very difficult they would have realized they just didn't have the scale and the capacity to take on the competition they also had fundamental problems around quite frankly the size of the facility there wasn't sufficient parking there was it was just a mess you know really really difficult so this new factory is long overdue much needed it will be a fabulous facility no question it'll change the capability of the team but you know a word of warning which would be that just because you've a new factory doesn't mean you become competitive it'll take time for that to come on stream there are bound to be teething problems with the factory you know that things Lots of things take time to bed in. People get used to new way of working, systems, processes, technology that they will be including in the factory. Um, so just as when you commission a new wind tunnel, when you commission a new infrastructure like a factory in F1, it can take time. You know, so, I mean, it may disrupt this year to some extent for the team. It'll, you know, it'll be exciting, but it'll also be disruptive. And I would have thought that we should really start to see all the benefits of their new facility not so much in 24, but 25, and then into the into the new era, new regulations, 26. So it's a really important investment. And incidentally, um, you know, obviously Aston Martin, having had a very good pre-season test, uh, more good news on today while we we're recording the podcast, which is that Aston Martin Lagonda, um, Lawrence Stroll's car company that he's invested so much money in and, and spent a lot of time and effort trying to, to get pointed in the right direction, they've announced today um, uh, profitability for the first time since the company was floated on the stock exchange four and a half years ago. And uh, their share price has soared by about 14% just today. So it goes to show that things are pointing in the right direction generally, both for the, not just the F1 team, but for the car company. And, um, and fair play to Lawrence Stroll for sticking at it and putting the money in to make all of that possible. Yeah. Shame Lance Stroll can't point a bicycle in the right direction, isn't it? Do we know for a fact that he came off? It was his bicycle he came off. Did he break both wrists? Well, there's a lot of things that are being said. They say it was a bicycle accident. Obviously, there are those people who say, is this like Juan Man Pablo Montoya? Juan Man Pablo? Juan Pablo Montoya's uh, so-called tennis accident. uh, The tennis accident stood in a tennis ball. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there, there, there are people quite close to the team who say that, that there are, he, he does have, or, or at least last week did have steel pins in there, which suggests 
he won't be racing. But yeah, the, the bizarre caginess of the team in the run-up to the first Grand Prix and, and the test was very bizarre. And you kind of feel that perhaps that was driven by Lawrence himself, who has faith in the power of his money and Swiss clinics to make anything happen. And um, so he, he didn't want to rule out the possibility of Lance uh, driving. And indeed, you know, as as we speak, um, there's still been no news. It's looking like it was going to be uh, Felipe Drogovic. There was a very silly story during the rounds based on speculation that Sebastian Vettel would pop out of retirement. Um, Sebastian Vettel, who is on holiday with his family and entertaining his kids by the beach right now, so not available for uh, the Bahrain Grand Prix. It'll be great if Drogovic uh, gets that run because I, I do think too many times GP2 champions and Formula 2 champions have sat by the sidelines and kind of stalls their career. And uh, wouldn't it be nice to see a Formula 2 champion not only get the break, get the break in the first race with a team that seems to have got a pretty handy car? So it'll be a nice turn up for the books. It'll, it'll rather, you know, it'll be very interesting because... I mean, Lance Lance is clearly a competent racing driver, but the team will see what Drogovic can do in that car. And it'll be very interesting then to look at the data that they get from that. And if Lance ends up out for a second race of Drogovic was to do uh, the first two races, he will get to know the car very well. And it'll be very interesting to see how he matches against um, uh, Fernando Alonso. I've always had the belief that sooner or later, uh, Lawrence... And Lance will, you know, have the conversation that he's had his opportunity and the team will move on. And I think it's still too early for that to happen. But, I, you know, that that will happen one day or it should happen one day. Um, and uh, it'll be very it'll be an interesting dynamic to see what happens with Lance being replaced in this first race or two. If I could have a, add a flip on extra to that, the, the, the more number of races that Lance throws out on the sidelines, the the, the longer it delays the inevitable fallout between Alonso and, and both Strolls, I suppose. So uh, it's probably it's saying that. But it'll be, it'll be interesting because Mark, Mark's saying sort of about what Drogovic can do and how close he gets to Alonso. But I suppose that, that curve is sort of exponential, isn't it? Because the longer Drogovic is in the car, the more familiar he becomes, the more refined, the more ingratiated to the team, the bigger the catch-up that Lance has to do, having come back potentially from a physically quite severe injury there's rumor that he's being treated by the same um specialist that basically reattached mark marquez's arm so the longer he's out rustiness the physical demands the lack of time he'll have in a simulator and then it becomes one two three races obviously lance Stroll's had several seasons f1 but maybe it's one two three races for for him to get back to speed where Drogovic was and then before you know it that could be first third of the season gone we we don't know but an an interesting uh, an interesting uh, sub thread well i suppose that's what redditors say subplot is what more traditional isn't it uh, yes this the reddit this is a corner of the internet i don't delve into being a <laughs> middle age uh, the I, I was interested and and slightly um confused not to say bemused by the run plans they had for Drogovic during testing, because he sort of seemed to be doing the majority of his running during daytime. Like he took the AM, the, like the pre-lunch slot on the days he drove, uh, which basically is track conditions completely irrelevant to the the way the Grand Prix it would pan out on the Grand Prix weekend. So you couldn't really draw anything 
particularly from the times he set and certainly even if they had bolted on a set of sticky tyres, he wouldn't have been able to set a particularly representative lap time. Oh, well, representative of the conditions as, as, as they were before lunch, but not in ideal time. So you kind of worry, think, what, what were they playing at? Completely. I wonder, again, the cynical part of me wonders how much of that might have been a Fernando Alonso land grab that I want the most competitive sessions the most representative so I'm in the best dad and obviously that's to some extent that's in the team's interest because if for this first race while everyone's getting up to speed there is a fifth place for argument's sake going up for grabs maybe it's better to get one car in fifth and the other one in 12th than it is to get two two in one one ninth and one tenth with a sort of smaller spread so I wonder if if that's attached but I'd also say maybe we're reading too much into it because I thought considering they are rookies who need to get off up to F1's speed I thought Piastri um Dragovic and Nick DeVries had really bizarre run plans like Piastri was you know just given not even racing relations just tool around evaluate certain things and be two seconds off the pace if it wasn't for Alpine just doing nothing representative because what their, their run plan I spoke to a few people at the team was literally we've got this new suspension so we're going to go through every single click to see how it reacts and not chase times we just want to isolate what does what so apart from those guys going really slow, n- none of the rookies were sort of really, really up there. And you look, they were just, you know, some of them were just sent out on the proto tyres or the hard tyres and just, oh, no, we'll see you in a couple of hours sort of thing. Really sort of lame and up and representative. I know I know a few of them have said that their qualifying's their, um, their forte. So maybe they're hoping they can just sort of, for uh, for FP3 and quali on, on Bahrain, they can just turn up and, and, and nail it. But um you know, maybe they haven't had the privilege of a low fuel dusk run yet to see see what they can really do. But perhaps that's why they're out of kilter and um, and and Dragovic is sort of victim victim to that perhaps a little bit. Just picking up on what you're saying there, I also thought it was very interesting that Max was Max Verstappen was quite happy to let Sergio Perez do the final part of the test in its entirety. It was almost a kind of an indication of the degree of confidence. I don't even need to do that. Like, we know where we are. Actually, we could do with helping Sergio to get up to speed and, and uh, you know, get get himself a little bit more uh, geared into that car. So, yeah, you can read... There's a, there's a lot to be read into who does what and when during those testings. But testing, but... Um, I, I thought it was quite telling. Red Bull's confidence and Max's personal confidence in the car is uh, pretty sky high. Yeah. Max, Max seems to have barely checked into the championship just yet. He was so casual throughout the, the test. Like when he when he appeared in the press conference, he was late and he just sat down and started uh, natterbagging to Pierre Gasly noisily, while and uh, slightly rudely while Logan Sargent was fielding a, a, a question. Uh, and then he sort of carried on natterbagging and, and failed to realise that he was actually being asked a question by uh, it was it was it was Claire Cottingham from uh, the race fans website. And um, after a little bit of oh, 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 he said something about, oh, we were just talking about the Wi-Fi. And, and, and the cot said beautifully, cuttingly, I wasn't going to ask you about the Wi-Fi, darling. And it was magnificently cutting. <laughs> Yeah, she nailed that because that, that was poor form from from those guys. They they uh, they do talk, and I understand you know press conferences can be a bit tedious. They do talk amongst themselves, but the levels were enough that my dictaphone picked it off to make that to make transcribing that a complete nightmare. And and bearing in mind the format is hello, I am Matt Q from such and such a title. A question for said driver. That's when your ears should 
prick up and you should you should shut up so yeah kudos to claire for that one you guys need to depart mark you've got a plane to catch so it is time to say a massive thank you uh to both of you uh and to our listeners and and i've 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 a small amount of good news to uh impart the uh, audit bureau of circulation figures uh have just been released and gp racing is up 20% 20% uh, year on year in terms of newsstand sales. So thank you to those listeners who uh, buy the magazine. Uh, and thank you, Mark and Matt and all our contributors for being absolutely awesome. Pat yourselves on the back. I'm certainly going to pat myself on the back, even though, you know, could just be the Netflix effect. Rising tide lifts all ships, but I'll happily take some credit. Um, if you have, if you're not among the constituency of people who buy our magazine and you live in the UK, uh, you can find out where your nearest stockist is by going to seymour.co.uk. Uh, That's Seymour, as in, as we always say, Springfield's preeminent physician, Dr. Seymour <laughs> Butts. Or Jane Seymour, the lady who played solitaire in uh, *Live and Let Die*. Is that an appropriate Bond gag? It is. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. I'm just, I just want to pick you up on a Simpsons. He's not the Doctor. That's Doctor Hibbert. Seymour is uh, Seymour Skinner, the principal. But obviously, they have that terrible, terrible like jumping the shark episode where they claim it's a, a fake identity and he's an imposter. But uh, I, I digress. I bow to your superior knowledge of the Simpsons. My, my main. Um, memory of watching the simpsons is is the episode that uh, just thinking about it always puts me in mind of of, of the whole brexit farrago which is the episode where the, the man sells springfield a monorail and it does not go well anyhow yeah seymour.co.uk uh, you can type in your postcode it will tell you where your nearest stockist is uh, if you want to take advantage of some of the fabulous subscriptions offers uh, go to gpracing.com and uh, thank you for listening Uh, let's hope we have a great Grand Prix this weekend more to follow and more great editions of GP Racing to come this year thank you and good night Sports Social Podcast Network With lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere Dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.